Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Some of the fans who didn't like me were still turning on me then, you know, so I kept talking to Kim about it and she went, look, how can you not laugh about it? I said, love, it's that moment. I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. She said, I'll tell you what, why don't you think of something that you can say to defuse the situation? It's so simple. I said, well, go on and tell me something. She said, I'll tell you what, how about this? So... The next very, the very next game, someone came up and threw their season ticket at me, right? I can't tell you on air what she called me. She actually split up some words and put swear words in between them. And what it did to her, right? My bench behind me fell about laughing and she did not, not know what to say. You know, it totally and utterly diffused the situation. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. When I was the sports reporter for Radio 1 for eight years, I spent a lot of time talking to and hearing from an exhaustive list of Premier League football managers. One of them stood out above the rest for entertainment value, and that was Ian Holloway. Now, Ian Holloway is clearly a naturally funny man, but he has a depth and emotional sensitivity that you can't help but warm to. A big theme in this podcast is ego and not letting the idea you have about yourself get in the way. The quicker you realise you're not that important, the less important your problems can seem. Ian opens up about how hard he's been on himself throughout his life, so much so that he once had to take down all the mirrors in his house because he didn't like looking at himself. We talk about emotional intelligence and the time Ian went on a programme called Stress Test to learn how to calm his temper down at a time when showing vulnerability like that wasn't as in vogue as it is now. Ian shares about how his experiences have helped him grow and evolve, not least looking after his wife through serious illness as well as raising three profoundly deaf children. As he says, we all get challenges and difficulties in life and it's about how we cope with them that matters. He's written a book called How to Be a Football Manager, which is about much more than football. And in it, he shares one of the best phrases I've ever heard to take the sting out of someone who's given you stick. Definitely one to remember when you're next getting it both barrels from somebody. It was a pleasure talking to Ian Holloway. He's a fantastic bloke. And if you enjoyed this episode and could share it on social media, we would both be very grateful. But first, here is Ian Holloway. Ian Holloway, how lovely to see you. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks, Simon. I've just come out of a little cupboard reading my book, yeah. um, doing the audio side of it, which is not easy for someone like me. It was bottom of the class at reading. When you've actually talked to someone for hours, he's gone away and made it sound like you. They've actually had the lawyers check it and give it to you to read back out. I sounded as stiff as a board, but hopefully I've got there, mate. They haven't asked you to... Like, just take the edge off your, your distinctive accent at all, I hope. you got to be kidding. <laughs> I can't like, do that. Mate, I've moved 48 times. I've been all around the country and I'm still as broad a Bristolian as I've ever going to be. And I'm proud of it, you know? Absolutely. 
Well, it's it's one of your one of your many charms, uh, Ian. I, I've got to ask. I mean, I know how difficult it is doing an audio, but you know, I've been in a booth with someone talking in my ear, just saying, "One more time, please, Simon. One more time, please, Simon." And, and I know how hard it is. Stop. Do it um, again. But, That's um, rubbish. <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, this is book number two for you. As that lad who perhaps wasn't, you know, didn't thrive in English back at school, if someone had said you'd be knocking out two books, what would you have thought? Um, well, I wouldn't have had a clue, to be honest, and the spell checker would have gone mental if I was doing it myself. You know, as, as I say, if, if you look at my story and look at my life, and I've tried to get that into this book, the first one was more probably about my children, really, you know, about what I was doing and how, how difficult that was, the deafness and stuff, but... You know, this has really brought things home to, home to me and I'm totally out of my own comfort zone. Yeah, I can talk for England, but, you know, when, when you've got to read it back to someone, then you're doing the audio book, then you're, then, and then when the lawyers are looking at it saying, oh, I don't know if you can say that. It's like, oh, hang on a minute. Why can't I say what I feel? You know, I've always done that, but, you know, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been quite cathartic, I must admit. And uh, I bet it has. And, and yeah. basically going through your mind, and getting it out there, you know, and, and what I realised that the audio side of things, I got seven grandchildren. Hopefully, I'll still be around if I get great grandchildren, but probably my great, great, great grandchildren could still buy this book on the audio version and hear my voice, which is yeah. quite sensational if you think about that. Yeah, that's a lovely way of thinking about it. Absolutely. Yes. And I bet they absolutely crease themselves like so many of us have, have done as well. There's probably be a few tears. And I think that's I think that's the beauty of you in that you're you're multifaceted. You're clearly a funny man, and, and we'll get onto that as well. But but you've you've got a real depth and a, an emotional yeah, intelligence hang on. to you I was, too. <laughs> I'm a football manager, and people call me a comedian. I mean, come on, I've got something wrong, am I? Hey, listen, you're more than all of those things, aren't you? That's I'm you're a bag of chips, mate. I'm more than <laughs> yeah, all well, of them. I'm a bag of chips. Yeah. Let, let, let's not give away <laughs> that one of the greatest lines in the book just yet. And, and look, the book is full of. Cracking anecdotes. Football lovers will absolutely love it. But there's some really great lessons in there too. Obviously about football management, which is what it's all about. But I was really able to distill down some of the things to make them or to understand them as applicable to life. Because as you say in there, football is like life, just accelerated, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Listen, I, we're all going through some hard times, aren't we? We've had a pandemic, a global pandemic, which you know keeps us from doing the things that we love the most, which is being with other people, you know, and I've always treasured that. So what I wanted to try and do was give us all something to think about, share what I've managed to to live through and give us a little bit of hope, you know, and, and I think being able to laugh, being able to see the funny side of things, to actually dissect yourself and, and come out of it the other side and be a little bit better person than you were before you started thinking in a way that can help yourself and others. It's, I think it's really needed out there at this minute in time. Do you know what I mean? There's so much bad news. You go home and I don't really want to watch the news because it's almost horrific, isn't it? Let's face it. So yeah. I tried to make this about football, about my life, because I don't know much else. But I've managed to get into it all my life, really. Everything about it, you know, my how, how my daughters have touched my life, how my wife has touched my life. And, and the wonderful people I've managed to meet along the way. And and I don't think, you know, it looks so serious all the time, doesn't it? It really is. Most of the time you're, you're you know, everybody's pointing arrows at your back. And if the club aren't doing very well, you're the one who's going to get it. You know, other people don't get it, do they? You know, I've worked with directors of football who are still there doing their jobs. And, you know, maybe they were to blame for some things. But I have been so, so privileged to have seen so many things. And I wanted to share it before me time comes do you know what I mean because I realized that the most precious commodity all of us have is the time we have left in our lives to share with people that we love the most yes and I know your relationships are so much top of your priority list you're you've dedicated the book to your lovely wife Kim I know that you know the pandemic really made you realize about being close to your family and you're clearly a, a very people person, which actually I think is why you were able to be successful as a manager. And you've already actually mentioned the bag of chips. And this, I would say, is for me the quote of the book. And it's at the start of the book. 
and it's on a page of its own and it said, I'm all that and a bag of chips. And I'm like, right, I've no idea what that's about. And I had to wait till about page 120 to work it out. And it was from your wife, Kim, who's clearly something of a philosopher. And no, she, she's a witch, mate. She's a white witch. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's important to have all sides, she, just like you, yeah. comedian and football manager. But but can you just just quickly explain the circumstances of how she gave you this phrase and in which context it was used? Yeah, well, at the time, QPR was the first club to go into financial problems. We were in administration. And all my life up until that point, I'd only known QPR as a Premier League side. So we... Not only did we get relegated, we got relegated out of the championship. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, my God, how far down are we going here? So, you know, I was at the helm. So the stick I was getting, I wasn't the most popular player there ever anyway. They always liked to fancy Dan, someone who had some tricks and skills. And I was just sort of piano carrier, really. You know, I went around tackling people, giving it to them. And, you know, so I wasn't the most popular choice. But, you know, I was left with a horrendous situation and I'm, I do take things quite personally, believe it or not. You know, they say you shouldn't read stuff, you shouldn't do this. But, you know, things where I was getting pelters from ordinary people who didn't have a clue what was happening to the club. Do you know what I mean? And now I could sort of spread some of that out there, you know, because at the time we didn't want it really out there. You know, we we were under threat of going completely under. And uh, I had all these worries. And some of the fans who didn't like me were still turning on me then, you know? So I kept talking to Kim about it and she went, look, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just try and forget? I said, I can't forget about it. They're right by me. I can hear them all the time. I can't put earplugs on or earmuffs on, you know, I got to do something. She went, well, why don't you, how can you not laugh about it? I said, love, it's that moment. I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. She said, I'll tell you what, why don't you think of something that you can say to defuse the situation? It's so simple. Right? I said, well, go on and tell me something. She said, I'll tell you what, how about this? Right? She had a little look on her phone. How about this? Why don't you say, yeah, I'm all of that love and a bag of chips. Or I'm all of that mate and a bag of chips. What can they say about that? You'd leave them speechless. So the next very, the very next game was, it was incredible. It was our last home game of the season. And someone came up and threw their season ticket at me. Right? We collapsed late in the game we end up being nil-nil and lost four nil and I said to this woman I'm, so I'm ever so sorry love I'm all of that and a bag of chips I can't tell you on air what she called me right she was probably the best swearer I've ever heard in my life and I thought I could swear she actually split up some words and put swear words in between them that's how much abuse I got and what it did to her right my bench behind me fell about laughing and she did not not know what to say so she threw her season ticket at me and by the way that was the last home game of the season so she wasn't exactly you know it come wasn't on. that ballsy it was a moment that i probably would have said something i regretted and got into trouble for it you know because yeah, i felt absolutely. so so hurt but you know it totally and utterly diffused the situation so i know you're interested in your philosophy uh, Ian, and uh, there's a Stoic philosopher called Epictetus. And he said, one of his famous things is, is never defend yourself. And it's like, what weak people hide their flaws, but wise people boast about their flaws, right? And there's also that thing about what you resist persists. You know, if someone says, you're an idiot, and you go, no, I'm not. Well, bang, you're up against resistance. Mm -hmm. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, if you go, you're absolutely right. Well, where, right, where mate, have yeah. they got to go? So even though we're having a laugh about this, I thought this was actually incredibly profound because I remember someone once uh, having a go at me and, and me sort of lashing back and, and my ego rising up and all that kind of stuff. Whereas actually, if you sort of welcome it and even embellish it as you did, it's such a powerful diffusion strategy. And also it stops your own ego from, from getting in the way and, and rising up. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a huge part of us human beings, particularly us men. We, we have this ego and you're better off just putting it down by the door when you go into a football club because, you know, I, I have realised throughout the years that you try your best and you can it always ends in tears anyway, no matter who you are. No, it does, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you look at anybody who's ever won something, they've also ended up creating a, a huge 
expectation and then they get sacked. You ever look at Ranieri, how long did he last after that season where they did the most amazing thing in football? Leicester won the Premier League and then how many months in to the following season, he's gone. You know, if you can't laugh about it, if you can't defuse it, if you can't accept that that's the way it is and just keep doing it anyway, you're never going to be able to. And this is what I'm trying to get over to people. They all sit there and think, oh, I can do that. I can do this. You know, there's these games online that you can be a football manager. And that what makes me laugh, they can all buy a Ronaldo. They can all buy, and they've all got one. I mean, that would be great if we could if we could just sort of zap him and get two or three of him at, at once. Do you know what I mean? The old clones come out. But unfortunately, there's only one. And only one team can have that. So, you know, this is a reality that we're in, you know, and, and I was a manager back then. I'm still me. I'm And the great thing about, I can still be totally me whenever I want, you know, it is a cloak that you put on. And I want to get that over in the book, you know, saying about sometimes I didn't even know what to wear. I didn't feel right, you know, because, oh, what should I wear? If you look at Guardiola, he wears whatever he likes, doesn't he? Can he can, can he? He's so comfortable with who he is and what he's doing. So, you know, the quicker you realise that you're not really that important and then you haven't got a problem. I, I had to do it at school. I was We had a few bullies in our school and and I would make jokes about myself that were funnier than theirs and then I would say something about them and they didn't like it and they'd go away and leave me alone. Do you know what I mean? What you all, what you want to do is get people to leave you alone and I find that if you can snap out... We do it now, my wife and I, right? We've saw something online where this fella was videoing this bloke that outside. And I can't use the words because it's a bit rude. If I was allowed to, I would definitely do it. But he's called Cuffy, right? So he's shouting out, go yourself. And he's saying in a silly voice, go yourself, right? And he kept saying the same thing. If you say that one, are you on that YouTube? And he's like shouting up at him. And then the next thing you see, he kept saying it. Go yourself, go yourself, Right? He kept saying it, saying it, saying it in this loud voice. And the next thing, the bloke's bashing through his door and his flat. But, oh, my God, it diffuses any argument my wife Kim and I have now because she'll say that to me. And if I'm losing it, like I normally do with my temper issues, she just says it. And I go, oh, God. And do you know what? You're right. It's it's a way of it's a way of calming anything sort of down. And, and boy, oh, boy, have, have I used that in my football career. I've had to. Yeah. Because you – Yeah. The opposite yeah, yeah. of what you get is also there. Yeah, Marmite. You know, some people love it. Some people hate it. That yeah. is also true with everything in life, isn't it? Do you know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think a phrase like, I'm all that plus a bag of chips, it's like, it's a bit of Taekwondo, isn't it? It's using yeah. someone's strength and putting them through rather than throwing a, a punch back. You mentioned ego, Ian, and ego's a topic you talk about a lot. What does ego mean to you? If you what, what does it mean to you? It means trouble. <laughs> Because in a team sport, you can't really have one. But what is it? What it is, it's just a, a the perception of yourself that comes out and wants attention. Yes. Do you get what I mean? I, that, is, I think that's a lovely description. It yeah. is the inner the, the inner person of you that comes out when you feel, oh, hang on, look at this. And, you know. It wants and, to be but, special. It wants to be special. But the truth, I believe the truth is, particularly in my, my I, I've never really liked anything about me. You know, when I looked in that mirror, you know, you got to try and be comfortable with who you are. But I would have much rather looked like Robert Redford or someone like that or or Brad Pitt, because that must have been easier, you know, to see, oh, look, everybody likes that. But unfortunately, I used to take the mirrors down in my house because I didn't like what I looked like. And, and I think a lot of us are like that. We have to deal with ourselves. And that's not easy, you know, particularly if you're you're too self-critical. And, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm out, if you put your head above the parapet, you're going to get shot, aren't you? You're going to get shot at. So, I, you know, at the end of the day, someone once told me, no one ever kicks a dead dog. No point, right? So if they're having a go at you, that's still good because you're still out there. Do you know what I mean? So I've had a, I've had a look at that and think, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And, and then now the opportunity to actually, because people don't know me. They might see me on a, they might see one of the things I've said not understand it, not take it in the right context and not get me behind it. So hopefully if you read this, you'll get a little bit more of who I am, really, yeah. you know? I do think you put yourself out there, Ian. I said to you, you know, I was uh, 
Radio One reporter for sports reporter for the best part of a decade. And you were my favourite football manager that season. You were at Blackpool because you made me laugh. But on the same side, I, I do think you do have real emotional intelligence. And the re- and what I say about that, I interviewed Daniel Goleman, who came up with the book Emotional Intelligence. Need to find it into two things: one is self awareness, two is self control, three is empathy, and four is about having relationships. Now I know uh, you know from when you went on the uh, BBC program about the stress test, you know that certainly showed you perhaps the self control needed to work on. But you did that. You know, I think no, I'm, I think, still, I, I'm still. Of, of course, but listen, it's a never ending process, right? Yeah. But I do think that you've got a real. Uh, first of all, to go on there was very vulnerable at a time when I don't think vulnerable was as fashionable as it is now. But I think that you do have a, an emotional intelligence that shines through that draws people to you. How does a compliment like that make you feel? Um, well, first off, thank you very much. I can accept that compliment. Do I agree with you? Probably not because I'm too self-critical. Um, I like to think that I have empathy with people. Yes. I think. Um, the most important thing for me was was getting Kim back when I did. She had cancer and I could have lost her. Yeah. Um, she was could engaged you just, to someone Just remind else. us what age that was at. Yeah, she so was young. 21. She had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and they tried a new drug on her and it worked a treat. That was something else. I watched her deal with that and go through a life-threatening thing. It, it was quite incredible the way she handled it. And, you know, she's an inspiration to me to be able to show me what... And if you imagine since that moment that she had to, that, that horrible truth that she could pass away, she could die. I think she, you imagine life's like a huge postal office with loads and loads of little boxes. She puts of importance, right? She puts whatever's just happened into exactly the right box. Whereas I might give it too much importance. Oh my God. And, and it's a panic and, a, and she goes, whoa, 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 no. And we deal with it. Right. They bite-sized compartments, they tight, tight compartments that you deal with that, here we go, and then we want to go again. But when you're in there, you have to, she evaluates herself so brilliantly that I've learned to do it for me. So do you, instead think, do you being, think she learned that, Ian? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Do you think she got better at that, at that because of such a traumatic experience that she had to accept and endure? Absolutely. Yeah. I think she did. You know, what else can you do if you're told that, you know, you might die and you might not? Um, we don't know. I mean, what what choice have you got? So she chose to be calm about it and deal with it, you know, and having that around me is, is like wonderful because I need that. I'm not a calm person when, you know, but only it, if something really totally and utterly serious happens, like our dog got a really bad injured leg and I had to deal with it. So I got him, got my daughter to hold him, knew I couldn't get him to a, a the vet I wanted to. It was too far away. So I went to a local one. They said they couldn't do it. I said, please give him an injection because it's killing him. Can you sedate him a little bit and I'll, I'll take him to where I got to go? And they saved him, saved his leg. Do you know what I mean? I, I was totally calm in that moment, right? And then I'll panic about being stuck in a traffic jam. You know, that's what, but she never does. You know, so she's had to put up with that for me and I've tried to learn from her about that. And, and you know, to do what I've done, and a lot of it is now in this book, I've tried to explain really honestly how difficult I found it, how much I had to look at myself and actually change myself to be able to do the job better. Is you that know? the most important thing about it, Ian? What you learned and how you grew through your experiences? It was important for me, and I feel it's, I feel like I have some secrets that I could share with people. That's why I agreed to do this. You know, when you do this, it, this is not easy. You dra- drag up all these emotions. You do all of this. You think, oh, no, I'm going to say that. Someone might not like it, but do I really care? No, I want it out there, you know, because I have a chance to actually help because I think things dovetail in life. You know, they actually yeah. come together. So, 100%, yeah, yeah. you know, luckily for me, we were told we won't have any kids and we got four kids. Three of them are profoundly deaf. We were told by somebody really clever, you should learn a visual language because you don't know what they can hear. And that's the secret. You know, we've learned sign language. We thought our, our girls wouldn't be able to do anything. They've all got children now. They make us proud every day that we see them. And, you know, 
it, it's all about trying to deal with that. And as a family, we, we managed to deal with it while I was doing all of this madness. And it is, yeah. some of it is madness, you know? And I didn't yeah. realise until I'm doing the book. Some of the yeah. conversations I've had with people, the agents, the the owners, some of them, some of them, you know, and, and luckily I believe I can explain some of the things because I don't mention their names, yeah, you know, no, no. in no, case you do, it's you do funny. It, Ian, you do, it, you do it very well. And you've touched on some of the difficult things you've been through. And I read a lovely quote about you, which is that Ian Holloway, we know, is a product of life's difficulties. And you've said, I know that, for example, your daughters, and they're profoundly deaf, has made you and your wife a, a better person. So out of adversity, you know, can come really beautiful things. Yeah, I, I think the myth out there is everybody has a wonderful life. You don't. What happens? You get all sorts of things thrown at you, and it's how you deal with those, right? And you, you won't know joy unless you felt pain. And hopefully, if you've felt some pain, you'll feel some joy really quickly, hopefully, because you've gone through it and you've dealt with it, you know? And literally, we all have to just keep going, you know? And no one is ever successful totally and utterly, right? They will fail somewhere along the line. It's how, what they do about that. It's their attitude towards it. It's, it's the way they look at it that gets them through it to turn it into a positive. So, you know, I, I've helped other people do that, probably better than I can do it for myself because I know how badly I needed someone to tell me you're quite good, you could do this, you could do this, and I couldn't do that myself. I think a lot of people are very much the same as that, don't really deep down like themselves. They don't really truly believe. So my question to everybody is what comes first, doing it or believing you can do it, yeah? And I'm telling you, you have to believe. You have to have someone around you who helps you believe that you can do it. Because I don't believe every one of us is like a sort of Brian Clough was who, hang on a minute, I'm great. Like a Muhammad Ali, like, oh, I'm great. I float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I don't think we are really like that. I think most human beings aren't, we're quite the opposite. So I'm saying, come on, you can do this. You can self-help, you can grow, you can do this. And if you want to be a manager, And I'm only saying a manager, right? Because you have to manage your own life. Every one of us is managing our own lives, right? So I think it's relevant to everybody out there. And I I think what I've learned from team games, I've brought back into my family, which were like a mini team. We had four under four at one time. And, you know, we had our own little team go in there. One of them didn't fit in, our William. He was hearing. The other three were deaf. So we had to try and learn as a family. You know, so, wow, you know, what what, an, what a journey. And all yeah. that was going on while I was doing something that people love to watch and would love to have done themselves. So how lucky am I? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Brian Clough and Muhammad Ali and, you know, that we're all, most of us are, are very self-critical, but people like that aren't. But something I would say is even someone like Brian and Muhammad Ali, Cassius as he was originally, we never know because often I think the people who come out with the, hey, I'm great, that that can be a bit of a defense mechanism because if we come back to the ego, you know, that, that desire to stand out to be special, I think, I don't know what to what degree you agree with this, but, you know, if you really understand your innate worth and well-being, that desire to stand out and, and be, be seen as special isn't necessarily as prevalent. What do you make of that? Um, what I would say to this, I, you know, I, I'm just so delighted we're all different. Yes. Because if we were all exactly the same, how boring would the world be? You know, we would all we would all fancy the same girl. We'd all be queued up outside her. There'd be a huge queue going right around the world and she'd choose one of us. So the rest of us would be disappointed. So isn't it marvellous that we all have different opinions, you know? But throughout my life, I, I, I have met people who look like they're totally confident on the outside, but they're not on the inside. and And we have a long way to go in this world to help people genuinely. In my life, I've, I've helped people get physically fit and I didn't know how to help someone with mental issues, which I had to learn from other people. I had to go and get my players some help. That's in the book as well. I had to go and, because I didn't know how to do it when he opened up to me. Was that Clark? 
That was yes. Clark. Was it? Yes, yes. I've, I've, I've spoken to Clark on the pod, actually, and he, he spoke very highly of you and the help you gave him. And again, that comes back to, I think, emotional intelligence and your empathy. Well, to be honest, I, you know, I don't know how I ended up a manager. You know, I, I played with an awful lot of great players at, at QPR, lucky enough to be in their team doing the, the horrible stuff, tackling people and passing it quickly. But I ended up their manager and they didn't, you know, and I still don't understand it now. But, you know, I'd like to think that any of my team who ever played with me would tell you that I never, ever, 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 ever gave up believing that we're going to try and turn this around. Even if we were four down, five down, I kept going right to the end. And my answer at the end of the day was, well, I'll tell you what, we'll learn what to do. We'll beat them next time. Well, you say that in the book, don't you? Life questions whether you're brave enough to try. You're clearly a trier. And throw that in with empathy. To me, that makes total sense why you would have made, had been the success that you have been. Yeah, but that that came from, it came from my family and my dad and and, and, and what he learned, you know? And, and so I, I feel very fortunate that I want to share what I've had with people who haven't been so lucky. Yeah, you know yeah, your yeah. dad. Your dad might have passed away. Your mum might have passed away. They might you. They might have divorced. You might not be with them, and you don't know where you stand with those people. So, for me, I it was absolutely vital in my life that I knew that my family, who they were, where they were, and boy, oh boy, could they have done any more for me? No, no, they couldn't. And it isn't about doing something for you financially. It's not about no, that. No, you know. We lived in a council house. My dad never bought it. And on his deathbed, we knew he was going to pass away. They brought him back three times. He actually thought he was a failure. And it was heartbreaking to see because he wasn't. He was probably the most successful man I've ever known. He had more friends than I'd ever dream of having because they genuinely cared about him and how he how he was with them. So, you know, I, I feel really fortunate. And I, I for me, football, he said to me once, and I swear to you, gospel truth, I hope you like football, son. My my brother John, who's nine years older than me, hated it, right? And I, my dad had another go with me. My sister Sue didn't play, couldn't play at that time because girls didn't play football. So my dad tried a new tack with me and he went, I hope you like it, son, because through the game, you'll meet some wonderful people. And I'm still doing it now. I do after-dinner speeches and God knows what, and I'm going to places and I love meeting football people. My dad was absolutely right. And he made me not afraid to fail. And that's what I want to try and get out there as well. You know, um, I wasn't someone who had this huge belief that I was going to do this. and gonna. I, I, I actually cared about people and I felt that come over in my management style. I was a big part of a team that, that my teammates valued the fact that I want the best player, but I knew they knew they could trust me. I never had a go at them unless... They needed it, and I always encouraged them in a way that I wish I was encouraged. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. My dad was 31, 32 when he had me, and he came from a different generation back there. Their dad's never – he didn't know who his dad was, and he was never congratulated or told well done, you know? And back in that era, none of us were. We all tried to get our dad's approval, but very rarely did they – put their arm around you and give you a kiss and say, come on, kid. Do you know what I mean? I do it with my grandchildren all the time. My dad did it to his grandchildren, his grandson, or Luke, right? But he didn't do it to me. I was desperate for his approval. But, you know, in the end, what he did for me was make me not afraid to go out there and fail and to live through what I believed I could do and yeah. made me want to do it. So, you know, I probably wanted to do it more than anybody I've ever met. Yeah. And I know your dad was well both your parents were very much uh values orientated and, and i know you've spoken a lot about this speaking up for yourself integrity truth that kind of thing yeah could you just talk a little bit about that how they really instilled that outlook on life in you well i was fortunate i i, I had a trial match and bristol rovers and bristol city wanted me the same day that was i was nine years old they were going to both offer me two two nights a week training. I wrote, I chose Rovers because they didn't promise me anything. They said, it's all down to you. That was my dad's philosophy totally. But he made me choose which side I went to. That's exactly, he wanted me to take responsibility of where I was going. All right. And he would take me to watch every sort of football. Right. 
I knew I had his attention, right? I was the youngest, so I had my mum's because I was her baby. And I got my dad's attention because I threw football. But I genuinely loved it, you know? And I loved to see him with his mates. But he would take me everywhere and say, look, do you realise, how, look how good he is, you know? And I remember him showing me Chris Garland playing for Bristol City. He ended up going to Chelsea and he went, look how good he is. You can do that, right? So he said, if you don't look at the best and actually try and emulate to be them, you might be letting yourself down, son, right? Aim for the stars and you might hit the moon. That might be good enough. Never, ever be afraid to fail. And if you do fail, let it be through lack of ability rather than lack of effort. That stuck with me all my life, you know? Yeah. And i got to be honest, I played for Bristol Rovers and managed them as well, but my, proud, pr my proudest moment, right, to be honest with you, is what the Rovers fans said about me in a tiny little book. They did a... a players through the years, you know, and it said Ian Holloway is a workaholic fighting cock. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that being stood in your yard and I come at you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> hey, that's fantastic. That's yeah, my proudest that's, moment. That's definitely one for your for your gravestone, uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, just, just a no, quick... I got that sorted. Here lies Ollie. He tried. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Just another a final word on your dad, because I read something that I found very moving, actually, was when he passed away, and he was young when he passed away, and I know it had a profound impact, obviously, on you, and you had to go and play a football match, or you went to go and play a football match, and you weren't sure whether to go, and uh, it rekindled a spiritual side in you because of what you experienced in that car. Could you just share a little bit about, about that moment and how that did change you? Yeah, my dad, um, when your time's up, son, your time's up. He was one of them old-fashioned sort of, oh, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever, you know, oh, don't know if I, if you pass or you go somewhere else or what have you. You know, I don't believe in any of that. When your time's up, your time's up. So they actually resuscitated him three times. He was having massive heart attacks. You know, they brought him back. And every time he came back, they'd allow us back around his bed to see him. And on two out of the three occasions, he said, what what, am I, what are you doing? I was going to the light. I don't need to be here. i got to go. It's my time to go. And honestly, it was quite, and that's so unlike him. So I used to have to drive up and down to QPR. You know, I wanted to try and better myself. And unfortunately, being from Bristol and our club's not getting to the, the level that I wanted them to, I had to leave my hometown and drive however far up to London to play in the top flight. So I had to do that every day because my daughters needed to be schooled down here. And Jerry Francis let me do it. So one day in particular, I was driving along. I had, I'd been having some terrible dreams where I have a crash into the car and I'm trying to break. And I woke up just before I hit this. It was terribly taking on my time to drive all the way up, train and drive all the way back. But I had to do what was right for my kids. So I had this digital music player in my car and I looked at it and my hands were here and there was something on the steering wheel, but I didn't touch it. And I know because my hands were nowhere near it. And the light that came in the car, it totally filled the car up. And I looked outside and it was sunny outside. So I thought, God, that's weird. And then Mariah Carey, and the song was shining down on me from heaven, got louder and louder and louder till it was completely top notch. And I saw it go from 10 up to about 35 and it was deafening. And the minute the song finished, that went right back down to normal. And I looking at myself thinking, oh my, I was shaking. I thought, did is that really happened or what? Or is that me wishing that that, do you get what I mean? Yes, I do, yeah. And I swear, I swear he came and showed me that, don't worry, son, you'll be fine, right? Now, I would have never believed that. I wouldn't have thought for one minute he would have ever done that because he said there's all a load of garbage. So I don't know. The truth is, I don't know. Course, and yeah. it, did I feel it? Did I want to feel it? Was it really there? I cannot honestly tell you. But I swear to you, I saw the dial move on its own. What a coincidence that is that I needed that at that time. I went home, I told my wife, and she went, oh, yeah, I know. He visited me the other night in my drink because she's a bit, honestly, I said she's a white witch, but she's wonderful. She's when her, when her grandmother passed away, she came to say goodbye to her in her dream. 
at exactly the time we got a phone call. Wow. That she'd passed away. Wow. It's un unreal. So, you know, yeah. I hope not everybody believes in that, but I, I can only tell you how it was with me. Yes. And, well, you're talking you about know, your experience, aren't you? And uh, and you wrote about it beautifully of, of how emotional it made you feel. And, and it was like your head was being cracked open and just this love was sort of pouring in. But there was that other story as well, Ian, on literally, the, I think, that what the day he passed away or the day after he passed away, when you were driving to the match, you weren't sure whether to go and you looked and there was an indent on the seat next to you as well. Well, that's, yeah, exactly. I, I left the night he died. I couldn't stand his long, drawn-out breath. They call it the death rattle, don't they? The, the, the Whatever it is. You know, I won't do it because it's awful. And, and anyone who's lost someone they love, it's absolutely horrendous. You're waiting for them to take their last breath. I had to go, right? It was half seven in the morning. We'd been there all night. And we were, I was playing that night, that very night. So I went home, led down, tried to have a sleep. My family came in, told me he'd passed. Then I had a sleep. Then I got up and I drove to the game. Normally, Kim would come with me. She didn't that day. And as I was driving, I swear to you, I felt this all weird again, you know, and I, and I looked and I swear there was an indentation in the seat. It looked like his ass was sat on the seat. And that day, I played, right? I told Jerry what happened. My teammates didn't know. And we won. I think it was 4-0. And I scored. And I completely broke down after the game, you know, completely and utterly. And Jerry, he never told you well done normally, but he actually said how proud he was of me. And he told the lads that my, my dad, Bill, had passed away, you know. But I swear to you, everything was going wrong in my life. I was even playing terrible for Bristol Rovers. It, it, it all, so I felt he was in my boots that day. Now, whether it, he just re-energised me, but I felt terribly lost because my career was going absolutely nowhere at that time. He actually gave up on me and said, why don't you come back to Bath City? You know, it's terrible. I was at Brentford. It was awful. Anyway, cut a long story short. I had some extra months there. Jerry Francis helped me out. All my mates came back and helped me, like Gary Penrose, Phil Purnell, all, Andy Reese. All the, all the players really got together, and the crowd also helped me. So, you know, I've had so much help in my life, and so many things have happened. but. All I can say, I, I, I believe what I was given, what I was born with and what how it, how it was then nurtured and helped by my mum and my dad and my family situation and the very strong Bristol Rovers influence in a fellow called Gordon Bennett who would check everything and make sure that you were determined to do well. Everything I needed, I had. So, wow, how lucky am I? And then I just try and give that to my children with their what they needed for their education. We tried, it's like little baby steps all the time. And, and I, I want the book to help you master through your way through whatever happens to you in life, you know, because really deep down, it's all about what you want and achieving what you want. And if that involves becoming a better person and helping people around you, like it should do after the, of us coming out of a COVID situation where we're not allowed to see anyone, I don't want to come out of it really selfish. I want to come out of it caring about everybody and making sure we're all on the same page rather than being selfish here, selfish there. Because yeah, the world yeah. is too selfish. So, yeah, yeah. you know, hopefully, whoever you are, whatever sport you like, you'll be able to get something out of this, I think, that'll help you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, that selfish thing brings a slightly, I was going to skip on, but it does just brought something back in my mind about, about the whole ego thing. Uh, and I was listening to the episode you did with Kim, who is such a wise woman. Uh, she, she was speaking about when you made the transition from player to manager, you know, you said that, uh, oh, you wouldn't be able to walk around. Everyone would, would have it in for you. And she said, you're not that important. 
and you said a really yeah. funny comment, which I think is very, like you say, you know, we live in a selfish world or self-centered world and, you know, football certainly that way is, and yeah. you said something really profound, which was like, yeah, yeah, but I think you think you are. You, you can't help it. Unfortunately, it's out there, right? What I do for a living is out there and people have opinions on it. And there's so many things that they can have opinions on now. It used to be they'd go down the pub and talk about it to their mates. But now they can print it all over the place and get it everywhere they like. They can be anonymous and say all sorts of things. You know, it's not very brave, is it? But that that is life, you know. So, again, to be strong and to be able to deal with all of that, you have to have a self-worth and a self-thing. And when you're a manager of something, you do actually end up thinking you're the nuts and everything you say is being listened to. And you can get right up yourself, you know. That time at Plymouth where... I thought I could just go to Leicester and not know anything about them and actually take over there. I had them in the palm of my hand. It's not like that. It isn't you. What it is is how you rub off on people, how you can like, help them, give them, energise them and help them through what they're doing. And really, the biggest thing, one of my, one of my chairmen actually said to me, and he made me realise totally that, actually, Ollie, this is my show, not yours. I went, well, what are you asking me to run? Why are you asking me to do the job then? If He went, no, no, no. You don't understand. This is my show. And do you know what? That moment on, I realised, you know, with COVID as well, the fact is entertainment, yeah? Entertainment, it's absolutely vital. We all love it. It's fantastic. But you don't get that box of groceries delivered by the most important people who have to keep going to work is the delivery people. You ain't going to live, are you? You don't get that bottle of water. You're not going to live. If you don't watch your team for a couple of months, you might not like it, but you will live, won't you? So, well, absolutely right. We yeah. realize, I realize how it is, but when you're doing it, you, it you is life and yeah. death. You get sucked in. Bill Shankly, it's bigger than life and death itself. Do you know what I mean? And to that man, look what he did. Yeah. Look what he did. Yeah, yeah, he told yeah. people at Liverpool they're going to win the Champions League when they were in the Championship, and he did it. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. amazing. So, yeah, you know, but, but but he wasn't an egotistical man, I would say. You know, no, and he and had I, marvelous values. Didn't he had he? marvelous he... values, didn't he? And I think he recognised um, and embodied that through Liverpool. You know, the idea that putting players um, and Brian Clough, I think, was quite good at this as well. Putting people on pedestals, players, for example, is a load of nonsense. Like you say, you know, the idea that a football manager he might get or a football player might get paid a lot more that is worth more than the person who delivers your groceries or, or keeps the keeps the water running, it's an illusion. It's a load of gubbins, really, once you see through it. And clearly, you've seen through that. Well, Kim helped me as well because she said, do you really think you're that important that they're going to be thinking about you? They'll all be wandering <laughs> off worried about what's happening to them. They don't course, care about yeah. you. Yeah. You're the only one who's completely up itself. So yeah. sort your life out. Sort your life out. Oh, that takes me back to one of your great quotes. It was that that must have been the set Blatter quote, quote I think. Uh, anyway, but that's another story. Listen, Ian, I'm slightly running out of time. So uh, the last few things, and you touch on this in the book, so much so that I went back and I watched it, which is when you went on the stress test program back in 2004, yeah. right? So you were, a, a, by your own admission, prone to a rant here or there. There was a bit of rage there. And it was huge vulnerability, like I said, at a time when I don't think it was... It, it was common. So for a football manager to go on there and you had your quarters old checked and they would see you going mad on the touchline and all this kind of stuff and got you doing a bit of Tai Chi and got you into your painting. and Watching Blackadder, that was fantastic. <laughs> I didn't see that bit. But you, no, they, you they, said... they, they made me have time for me. Oh, right, okay. Right, yeah. so I had about three episodes of Blackadder, which I absolutely loved. Yeah. And I could choose to have anything else with me, around me, right, that I loved, and just have time to watch that. Don't we all need a bit of that, oh, a bit 100%. of me time? Yeah, yeah. Do you know well, what I mean? And th- th- the painting was it for you, though, wasn't it? When you just cut loose and were just like, let go of yeah. the, is, am I doing this right? Just started yeah. splatting on paint and created an absolute masterpiece. Mate, the, the, the fun I had doing that, I didn't believe it at first. I couldn't do anything. And it was a huge canvas, wasn't it? Absolutely yeah, yeah. huge. And I, yeah. I didn't want to spoil it by putting anything on it. Do you know what I mean? And they went, look, just do what you like. And they had, the whole room was covered in a plastic coating, so it didn't matter. And then all of a sudden, I'm just chucking it everywhere. It's mad. But you don't realise how uptight you get. And, I, you know, not being funny, I think 
We all have to find something that we really do do for ourselves, you know? And I know, you, you imagine there's people bringing up kids at home. You know, my daughter's doing it with her little boy, Finn. Um, and he takes over everything. You know, you get in the car, you've got to get his bag, you've got to do that, you put him in. The, everything's about them and not you. So we all have to remind ourselves, come on, we are a... Let's have some me time. What can we do? Even for five minutes, if you just sit and did what you wanted for after you finish work, isn't that wonderful? Honestly. Oh, it, and it's so important made... to let off steam, isn't it, in that way? You know, well, like to unplug essentially. Because otherwise, otherwise, and, and I, this is what worries me. Well, there's a lot of research actually about phones. People think they're having me time when they're scrolling on their phones, but that's keeping the mind revving. Whereas doing your art, watching your Black Adder, doing your Tai Chi, whatever it may be, you know, that is actually unplugging. And for you, it had a really profound effect, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah. As I say, I had anger management before. I ended up beating up the bloke who was trying to teach me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, you came out with this wonderful line, which was, you know, you believed you were kind, considerate, etc., and the experts showed you you were a jumped-up, obnoxious little git who wouldn't listen. Now, I say to, to be able to acknowledge that about yourself <laughs> speaks volumes because it's not easy to see yourself full-on, is it? No. No, the thing was, I thought I was leaving my work at work, but I wasn't. When it went wrong, I brought it home and everybody was taking it and I didn't think I was like that. You know, I honestly didn't think. My wife, Kim, would have. She'd have known. And, you know, she, she said to me when I picked, took up another job, she said, please, don't become the result this time, will you? And I went, what? She went, you become the result every time. If you win, you get a bit blasé. If you don't, you get uh, and then you get down and then you're angry and then you ruin. Can you not become the result? It's not you. You are more than the result. And do you know what? Wow. That's profound. That is Well, profound. it is. And, and, you know, really, I wish... I wish people knew... The Real Boss, you know? I, and I wanted to do one one day. I want to do the book called The Real Boss, which is Kim Holloway's book, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, she's an, she's an amazing woman, like, clearly. And it's so lovely how your love, really, for her shines through. And again, in, in stress, you, you broke down and were in tears, you know, and again, at a time when uh, perhaps expressing vulnerability in that way, you know, wasn't so commonplace about the love you had for well, I, her. I think, I think I needed her most when I was put on gardening leave. Honestly, the gardening leave where I I, did, I had to wait to get another job yeah. and they asked me not to come in. I mean, how, how bad, how bad are that? you? How bad are you at your job when they ask you not to come in and still pay you? How, how did she support you through that? Um, What was the skill that she... Or, oh, well, she has she has up. a way of making me realise I'm completely up myself, you know, and... Which this is the ego thing again, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I, I think... Males have got it. I think females deal with things so brilliantly. Mums particular. Mums just deal with it, don't they? And, you know, I had four young ones running around everywhere. I thought I was more important than everything. And how can I, you know, I got banned from driving at the same time as well for speeding. So I'd lost, not only lost my football job and I had to stay at home, but I couldn't drive. So I, I was felt like I had everything cut off, you know what I mean? <laughs> Emasculated. Oh, my God, what's going on? And she just literally just put it in that cubby hole. So I'll deal with that. You're not there. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, you get know? it in perspective. Yeah, uh, wonderful. Now, last few things, Ian. When I watched that stress test thing, there was this – he sat you in the car at one point and he spoke about your anger. He said, what's under that anger? And you said, fear of losing. And he said, what's under that fear of losing? And you said, fear of not being good enough. And I thought this was fascinating about what so often is underneath anger or, or expressions of anger. And often it is fear and sadness and, and that kind of thing. And, and clearly you, you're familiar with that. And I was wondering, you know, a lot of people perhaps don't, don't realise that there are things like that going on underneath anger. So what did you learn from that? Um, well, I, I had this dream all along, you know, and I, I told people when I was six that I wanted to be a professional footballer, you know. Um, and I was told you're going to be too small. And what can you do about your size? So literally, I heard my dad, I was playing, and I heard my dad talking to someone on the side, oh, which one's your boy, Bill? Oh, him, number seven. Oh, he ain't going to make it, he's too small. So when I got home, I pushed the stool to my door, right, under my door frame, and I hung on, moved the stool out of the way, and I hung on, trying to stretch myself. 
and I stayed there for as long as I could. And then all of a sudden I crashed to the floor. And my dad went, what are you doing, you idiot? What's going on? Nearly came through the ceiling. I went, I heard what your friend said. And my mum came up, said, you what? I said, his mate, his mate said I ain't going to be big enough, so I'm trying to grow, aren't I? I'm trying to stretch. And mum went, oh, don't worry. The best things come in little packages, son. Right? But I had this fear because something like that, what if I'm not in control of, you know, what if I am too small? What if I am? So I had little pictures of Brian Flynn and little pe little people. And uh, I, I used to look at how big's Billy Bremner. And, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, he ain't very big. So that's rubbish, you know. And at the end of the day, I had fears everywhere, you know. And doing what I did for a living, losing and then not being popular, right, drawing and not being popular, is dead against who I am, really. So I had to try and train myself to get over these things. And you don't know you're like that until someone unlocks it and lets it out. Yeah. And yeah, my yeah. anger, I needed determination. I had the perfect thing. I had boatloads of determination, but I got angry and then I got determined. If I'd have got rid of the anger, my determination would have been sensational and it'd have been an awful lot easier. And I wouldn't have upset all my family who see me at the most vulnerable times. Yeah. Because as a manager, you can't show that all the time. I did on the line, you know. I mean, there's there's a great story in there about me being lifted up by my armpits when I was sent off at Birmingham. <laughs> little legs twiggling. Yeah, I mean, little legs flicking like that. But, you know, what, it, what it's about is actually dealing with who you are. You and accepting do it, who you are, yeah. yeah. accepting who you are, dealing with it, and then doing it and reviewing it and then redoing it. So you improve. Yeah. And well, what more could you ask for? If you can get better at doing something, how can you not be happy with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I know you said, you know, you thought your anger issue was helping you, and then you realised it wasn't. And you you thanked them and you said, oh, I'm so grateful, you know, you've changed my life. And... And there was that shot at the end where, you know, I think your team scored, which was normally the precipitation for your cortisol going through the roof and you start, you know, jumping up and down like a madman. But you went and sat down. It was almost like you're in a meditative pose. So after that, what is your advice, basically, is what I'm getting at in terms of, of managing anger? Because it's clearly something you've had to do. You talk about in the book just counting to 10. Yeah, to be honest, I as a manager, I said you got to count to 100 because you've got so much more on your plate. But, you know, I, I do believe you can defuse a situation if you think long and hard about what you're going to do and what you're going to say. I've always been an off-the-cuff person. If you can buy yourself some time, you'll come out with a better thing to say rather than just shooting from the hip, you know? And yeah. I find the older I get, the easier it is to do that because I've lost so much more of that ego you need an ego to be able to sustain but you don't need it visible does that make sense you need the ego because you're going to get ups and downs and you got to do that and you got to actually have a little bit of yourself there but you don't need it forefront all the time it needs to be back when it needs to be a quiet one and sometimes as i say in the book you come in you put your ego at the door you go in and you coach and then you come back out and you try and inspire them to understand that they can do anything if they want it badly enough. The analogy I always like to use is rather than identifying with the ego as you, it's, it's almost like having it on a leash, like it's a dog. So, so you're responsible for it, but it's not who you are. So when, when you start buying into, that's me, and it starts swelling up, that's when it becomes a problem. And, and one person you read... you read the chimp, the chimp paradox? Have I, you seen that? I've, I've had Steve on the pod, Ian. I've yeah, had Steve yeah. on the pod. But, but well, that, you, that did me the world of good. You know, I, bet, I, I, I bet used to be did, rattling yeah. the cage. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Now, one, one person who comes up a lot in the book, Ian, is Graham Taylor. I was very lucky to meet Graham in 2012 in Ukraine. And there was a man who didn't have as far as I could see, Ego. He was a lovely, lovely man. My first meeting of him, we were rushing to a match. I was the last one there and everyone from Five Live and television disappeared. And I was in a hurry and I was sweaty and I was about to miss the bus. And Graham was just stood there and he's like, calm down, young man. We're not going to leave you. And I was like, what a lovely man he is. <laughs> what a, wasn't he just, and clearly he was a mentor. I mean, he keeps popping up in the book. He gives you some great advice, including 
you know, not to not to smash those two players who you caught drinking that night when you went bombing along in your Rolls Royce. But what a wonderful Rolls Royce! I've never had a Rolls Royce. What was Jaguar. it then? It was a Jaguar. Jaguar. Sorry, my I'm not a car man. In <laughs> but but he was a man who didn't have a lot of ego, wasn't he? He was a lovely, lovely man. Well, for me, he's a he's a he's a football hero of mine. You know, because everybody was talking about the way they played. And it and it wasn't a popular way, but he'd get it forward, he'd get it route one, he'd get you there, and you it was impossible to play against. And the success he had along with Elton John at the time, and his beloved Watford was quite incredible. I I found him a fountain of knowledge, and he was so wonderful in the way that he shared it. Um, and he was always there. If you rang him, he would ring you yeah. straight back if he was busy. Um, yeah. but, so kind, you know, such a kind. Well, man. no, he was so understanding, and and you know he he made me believe that. Actually, I can be a manager because I thought I, w- I was so indecisive at times. He went, "We're all a- we're all the same, son." I didn't think someone like him would be like that, or yeah. uh, Sir Bobby Robson would be like that. Do you know what these people are completely? They were sensational because yeah. they taught you and they wanted you to grow and they wanted you to learn. And you know, I I, I think it was through them finding their their right way into helping people. You know and the biggest thing about a football coach is you realise it's not about you. It's about who you're coaching. And if you always go back to helping them and making them, they will give you that back tenfold. And as I say with, with Graham, what he achieved, he was England manager, he was all of this. And, you know, it it was quite incredible how he always stayed exactly who he was before he had any fame. Yes. And I think that's the, the huge thing that Graham show me more than anything it doesn't matter where you are what you're from what you're doing it's about who you are in your heart yeah and and what a kind wonderful football man yeah very grounded i think that's such a valuable lesson you know it doesn't you know whatever you achieve that doesn't mean that you're suddenly you know your uh stuff don't smell as they say final lesson ian which i took from this which i, I have to finish with you is is just laughter being the best medicine and you talk about this, you know, relaxing people, relaxing players. And lo- you live and breathe that. So, you know, a final word on laughter being the mes- best medicine, please, Ian. Well, it, it always has in my life, you know. And let's be perfectly honest. If you look at the world at the moment with what's happening and where things are going, it is quite difficult to laugh. But my wife and I the other day found someone, a uh, man down on the telly. I, oh, we watched it. We watched everyone in a row. I couldn't stop laughing. It's just wonderful, you know. It, 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 the bloke was a teacher himself, Greg Davis. I mean, I, I couldn't stop laughing. I, I don't know how I've never seen it before. But for me, if you don't take yourself too seriously, you'll have a chance of being successful. Honestly, it's, it's as simple as that. You know, maybe I went too far in some of the things I said. Maybe people didn't understand what I said. Maybe they took it out of context. But if I couldn't laugh about something... I would get far too serious and then I'd be take that tension into what I was doing and everybody would feel it and then we'd be useless. So I had to lift the mood and it's about your your staff around you understanding that if you look like that, Gaffer, you look at it, oh yeah, all right, I'll tell you, we'll go down the beach then. You know, at Blackpool, we'd go down the beach, we'd have a sandwich, we'd we'd feed the seagulls, we'd do something. I, I, I'd keep them thinking, you know, and I went to the ballet once with QPR and they were all shaking the bus. They didn't want to get off, but they had a wonderful time. So, and then you go back to what you're doing and then you can pick it up and go, go again. You know, I don't know if, if any of you have really tried to do something and you keep going, you keep going and you can't do it. Then you leave it, you come back and you can do it straight away. Madness, isn't it? But hopefully your brain will take over yeah. muscle movement. You know, if you think about the best tennis players in the world, when they need a point, the champions manage to just trust their yes. body and their mind and do it. They don't Out think the about it. No, exactly. Imagine me. I'll be like, oh, no, match point. <laughs> How can they do it? It's incredible, isn't it? I don't know if you've seen the, the video of, of um, the one who's just retired. One Roger of my Federer. Roger Federer. He was doing a shooting an advert and he yeah. had his suit on. Yeah. He was shooting an advert and they had half a tennis court and the service thing. And, he, and some bloke went, oh, yeah, you can't. He went, put those down there, right? And he put, he said, sorry, put this, these tennis balls on your head there, right? So he put them on his head. He went, it straight off, right? And he went, no, that's luck. He went, no, 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 put them on. So he put them on the service line. He put four of them along. He gave him four balls, hit that one, four in a row. He went, 
muscle memory. That's what it's about, you know? Yeah. And champions Getting out of your own way. Listen. It, it, I, no, seriously. I know, I we, a lot of us kill ourselves on our mind because we overthink it we couldn't, and then we don't believe we're actually good enough to do it. So come on, let's let loose. My favourite film ever, right? My favourite film ever is Coach Carter, right? And he takes these basketball students and he makes them work hard in college to try and get a college place in school to get a college place and they, they he locked them out of the gym their parents went mad the thing was he believed inside every one of them was the ability to shine and we're frightened of it and he wanted to get that out of them you know so oh my god watch the film it's, it gives you goosebumps and i believe all of us have the skill to shine at something yeah so let's believe that i very much agree Listen, Ian, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you because and, and you know, an ego's been a bit of a theme throughout this. And I think there's a lot of ego in, in football, whether it be players, managers, fans, even certainly uh, chairman. But uh, as I said to you at the start, over the 10 years I was covering the Premier League and football more generally and other sports, there aren't many managers who I'd, I would be particularly interested in really picking apart the, the life lessons of. But sincerely, Ian. As soon as the opportunity arose, I grabbed it with both hands. It was like David <laughs> Seaman. I was like, I'm not letting this one through. So it's been an absolute pleasure. I think you've shared some gems. Congratulations on this. There's some beautiful gems in there. Love to your wonderful family, in particular, Kim. She's clearly an absolute gem. And just best of luck with everything you do, Ian. I think you're a wonderful human being. I think you've got wonderful values, high emotional intelligence, and you're bloody funny as well. So, you know, what a wonderful package. Handsome to boot. I'm not sure about that. You better get <laughs> up the glass place, you know, spec savers. What's the matter with you, son? All I can say is thank you very much. You know, really enjoy talking to you. Can't wait. I'll, I'll start listening to your podcast, son. I will. Um, absolutely fantastic. Thanks ever so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. I would be delighted to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your guest suggestions, your questions. Just get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. And if you could share this episode with someone you know or on social media, I would be very grateful as it does really help people to find this podcast. That's it for now. I will be back with a bite-sized episode this Friday and another full-length episode next week. Until then, goodbye. 